This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... When it comes to education, 90-90% of children and adolescents in sub-Saharan Africa cannot read a simple sentence. That's Yasmin Sharif, Director of Education, cannot wait on challenges to a good education in some parts of the world. Details coming up. Also, security forces fired bullets and tear gas to disperse protests today against Guinea's ruling military junta. The Africa CDC says monkeypox vaccines will arrive in Africa within two weeks. And a former Egyptian anti-corruption chief has been arrested again after completing a five-year prison term. We'll have these stories and more on African News Tonight. But first, we start with our top story, and our top story is good governance. And to brief us more on the subject, we have in studio Chris Maroleng, Executive Director at Good Governance Africa, based in Pretoria, South Africa. Chris, welcome to Africa News Tonight. Yes, it's such a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me as a guest. So basically, Chris, your definition of good governance, briefly. You know, yes, at Good Governance Africa, we have a very simple definition of what governance is. We say it's about who gets what, when and how. It's about the authoritative allocation of resources. And we argue that in Africa, we're trying to make sure that that authoritative allocation of resources is increasingly shaped towards the citizen and not towards political and economic elites. We also believe that governance in its essence must be transparent and accountable. So accountability, and then there's also transparency, mm-hmm. combating corruption. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, maybe the role of good governance in Africa. So we, we believe that if there is good governance in Africa, this is ultimately in the good of the people of the continent. We believe that more inclusive forms of governance that also have an aspect of efficiency in delivering services, in ensuring uh, that the people of our continent are well catered for in terms of healthcare, safety and security, in terms of socioeconomic development, that this will ultimately lead to the upliftment of the people of our beautiful continent. So now let's probably name names here. (laughs) Talking about Africa, uh, what are countries you believe are following the rule of good governance? You know, increasingly we are seeing more and more countries in Africa following principles related to governance. I wouldn't say any of us on the continent are perfect However, there are a number of examples in terms of the efficiency of governance. For example, like Rwanda, uh, that has had the propensity to deliver and really pull a large majority of citizens out of uh, economic um, decline into somewhat prosperity. And then, of course, you have countries that have, in terms of citizen participation, been at the forefront 
of good governance practices like South Africa that has seen citizen participation, almost democracy, really taking a root and being entrenched in that country. In Southern Africa, we also note countries like Botswana, which for a long time have been held up as a bastion, not necessarily of democratic practice, but maybe of stability uh, that is founded on uh, good uh, and uh, let's call it uh, more sustainable forms of governance. Now that you mentioned uh, Botswana, uh, you can add maybe Rwanda and the seashells. Yeah, uh, yeah, indeed. In Sub-Saharan Africa. So, so there are a number of countries on that sliding scale, depending on what we're looking at, whether we're looking at governance as a form of uh, efficient economic delivery or whether we're talking about governance as the ability to enhance citizen participation to generate greater systems of transparency and accountability in the way people are governed. But I think the ultimate point about governance is that it must be seen as an enabler for investment and socioeconomic uh, development onto the African continent. And ultimately, when this happens, it means that governance is not just a nice-to-have, but it talks about the competitiveness and the propensity of the various states in Africa to invest the kind of development that we look for on the African continent. Next week, Nigeria is having an election. Right. Let's talk about Nigeria. Mm. Where is it? How is it heading as far as governance? You know, one of the challenges with Nigeria and what has marked the state in, in Nigeria in recent times has been the lack of safety and security as a result of violent extremists in both the north and the south of Nigeria. As we move towards elections, we've currently heard that on the streets of Nigeria, there's been a, a cash shortage, which has seen long lines of people people trying to exchange old currency to new currency. And really, this is a good indication of how bad governance, that is in terms of delivery of even good policies, if the implementation is wrong, this results in the kind of problems that we have experienced in Nigeria. It's particularly worrying as we move towards these uh, elections in Africa's most populous country. So they, they normally say in this joke that if, uh, you know, Nigeria sneezes, Africa <laughs> catches a cold. As Nigeria goes, so does Africa. There you so have it. basically, let's talk about the African Union, yeah. which is uh, having its uh, conference in Addis Ababa as Indeed. we speak. Yeah. Let's talk about Ethiopia. Mm. How does it fare? You know, governance? W one of the greatest, uh, I think, tragedies that we've seen for uh, the state of governance in Africa is the fact that we saw a situation where the seat of the African Union was in a country that was experiencing uh, some kind of separatist conflict. And I'm talking here about the Tigray region. You know, we've called upon um, the people of our great country of Ethiopia, where the seat of the African Union is, is really to ensure that there is more effective transparency and accountability in the way that governance is carried out that enhances confidence and boosts systems of uh, transparency in that country. I think also Ethiopia is one of those countries, simply because of where the African Union is, that we're all affected 
when we see the kind of conflict playing out in the Tigray region. And we really hope and pray uh, for the people of that region uh, to find peace, stability. And we thank the South African government for uh, really brokering the peace agreement that has led to uh, the kind of, uh, let's call it, cessation of hostilities that we've experienced in the recent times. And lastly, Chris, some African countries have demonstrated that reforms are possible, Mm -hmm. but they're very fragile. Like take, for instance, Liberia, Mm. Sierra Leone, Angola. Mm. So what is the solution for that? So we argue that in Africa that the most sustainable form of reform that we should be pushing for is institutions that support good and effective governance. We're talking of establishing good judicial uh, systems in the country, national prosecuting authorities that have the propensity to cut down on corruption and the kind of malfeasance that we've seen affecting Africa. We also call on the establishment of legislative institutions that can uh, really create laws that support strong socioeconomic development in the country and ultimately support democratic and good and effective governance. Institutions established in our countries will see governance succeeding. Chris Maroleng, Executive Director at Good Governance Africa, based in Pretoria, South Africa. Thank you for your input. Brother Yeheas, thank you so much for having me. The French news agency AFP reported security forces fired bullets and tear gas in an effort to disperse protests today against Guinea's ruling military junta. The main opposition coalition says six people suffered bullet wounds with one critical condition. The junta, in power since a 2021 coup, has banned political protests. The opposition coalition, FNDC, accuses it of silencing dissent. FNDC called for the rally to demand the release of the three of its arrested activists and other prisoners they say are being held for political reasons as well as a return to civilian rule. Young demonstrators hurled stones and erected barricades on a major road in a suburb in the capital, Conakry. Nigeria's President Mohamedou Buhari has again extended a deadline for other currency notes to remain legal tender following violent protests over a shortage of cash. Buhari said the 200 Naira note would be allowed back into circulation until April 10th, but higher-value old notes would not. Nigeria's central bank introduced a new currency late last year, but only gave citizens a few weeks to exchange old bills for the new sparking outrage. The Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says monkeypox vaccines will arrive in Africa within two weeks. The Associated Press says the doses will go to countries with the greatest need and largest overall burden, including Congo and Nigeria. 
In December, the Africa CDC says the continent was set to receive its first batch of 50,000 MPOX vaccines as a donation from South Korea. It said they would first go to health workers and those living in the hardest-hit areas. The AP notes that MPOX has been prevalent in parts of West and Central Africa since the 1970s, but vaccines were not used until the disease appeared in Europe and North America. However, supplies to Africa have been limited as wealthy countries rushed to buy the medication. More than 3,000 people in Africa were infected with monkeypox last year. In the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, the M23 rebels have been firing government forces, the FARDC, for several days. Reporter Jafar Al-Katanti is in the eastern city of Goma and has been following the fighting. He spoke with my colleague Kate Pondawson a short time ago and says the fighting comes as the government starts preparations for elections in December. The fighting now located in Masisi territory in west of the city of Goma. In the beginning of this week, rebels was around 30 kilometers west, northwest of Goma. But now uh, the FRDC are pushing them and now fighting. At this moment, FRDC has controlled Kingi and fighting are around 40, 45 kilometers northwest of Goma. And this created another group of many IDPs in, you know, uh, during the first period of the war, IDPs was in north of Goma, Kanyarochinya and Nyiragongo territory. But now even in neighborhoods on the other side of Goma in west, we now found many IDPs coming from Sake, from Kichanga and other cities in Masisi territory. Do we know anything about the number of casualties from this latest fighting, either among the the soldiers or the rebels or even among uh, the, the residents of the area? Uh, there is not enough information uh, on that since, you know, uh, rebels are not communicated as well and also FRDC. Uh, both of them are keeping secret uh, the, the operation. But when talking about civilian, also the cyber society has not recalled as people are fleeing in many directions. So even the government of DRC cannot give the real number of casualties. Now, this fighting comes as the DRC government has begun registering voters for this year's elections. The registration has begun in in North Kivu and Ituri and other areas where there's been a lot of violence. How is the registration process going? Uh, This is a big challenge of the Congolese government. Now, today they launched the process, the electoral process, by uh, registering locals for the election. But the question still, how do they plan to organize the election when North Kivu and Ituri has many areas under rebel controls? And here we are talking about ADF who control a large part of North Kivu and Ituri and then 
M23 which control uh, Masisi, Ruchuru and Nyiragongo. Even when talking about it with IDPs, people from those territory under rebel control, they are asking themselves why the government of DRC chose election than fighting or uh, bringing peace in their zone and then talk about election. That was journalist Jafar Al-Katanti speaking via WhatsApp with VOA's Kate Pound-Dawson. Experts say the U.S. has raised its level of involvement in Libya in recent weeks. The most prominent manifestations of this interest include recent visits by CIA Director William Burns and other high-ranking security officials. Ambassador David Mack, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, explained to VOA senior analyst Mohammed al-Shanawi the growing American interest in the Libyan crisis. Well, in the larger strategic assessments of the United States, Libya is more important to our Western European allies than it is to the United States. It's obviously more important to Tunisia and Algeria and Egypt than it is to us, but we are trying to play a supportive role for their interests. Why? Because with the outbreak of the war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Russian ability to cut off oil and gas supplies for Western Europe is a weapon that they've been using to try to undermine the NATO unity in support of Ukraine's own defensive efforts. And if you think about it, one of the big ways that we can help support our Western European allies is if we can have a political and economic stability in North Africa, because the amount of oil that Libya is now producing is about half of its capacity in the near term, and maybe a third of its capacity in the long term. So it could ramp up its oil production rather quickly. It could also have a second gas pipeline to Italy, which would enable Italy to be more independent of Russian pressures. And if you put Moroccan phosphates together with increased gas supplies and gas production from Algeria and Libya, you could also enable the world to become less dependent upon fertilizer coming from Russia, which is another way in which the Russians have tried to create pressures in Africa and in the Middle East, create pressures by constraining the amount of both agricultural products and fertilizer that goes into the world markets. The U.S. and the U.N. have been encouraging Libyan rivals to work together to hold elections this year. Is that feasible? Yes, I believe it is. But it's not something that can be done from outside. Basically, we can try to make sure that our allies, including uh, partners in the Arab world, like Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Egypt, are supporting elections. I'm quite sure that the Algerians want to see the elections proceed, and the Tunisians want to see the elections proceed. So I think it is quite feasible if the Libyan parties will come to some agreement on how to set up a constitutional process for elections. And certainly the United Nations will be instrumental 
in making those elections happen and in providing election monitors to assure that they are credible. That was David Mack, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, speaking with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El Shanawi. The United Nations Global Fund for Education in Emergencies, Education Cannot Wait, is seeking $1.5 billion to provide educational support for 20 billion of the world's most vulnerable children over the next four years. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. Education Cannot Wait, or ECW, reports 222 million children and adolescents are missing out on an education because of conflict, climate change, displacement, and other crises. It says more than 78 million are out of school altogether, noting that 84% of these children are living in just 10 protracted crises. Eight are in Africa. The UN agency works in dozens of countries on five continents. Education Cannot Wait Director Yasmin Sharif tells VOA the largest proportion of its budget goes to sub-Saharan Africa. When it comes to education, 90-90% of children and adolescents in sub-Saharan Africa cannot read a simple sentence. We are dealing with Challenges of this kind, as I mentioned, Horn of Africa, we have the Tigray situation in Ethiopia, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Sharif spoke on the sidelines of the ECW's annual two-day conference, which began Thursday in Geneva. She says ECW has provided education to three and a half million children and adolescents in these and other countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Our multi-year investments uh, are uh, designed to provide a holistic, inclusive, continued quality education, meaning uh, infrastructure, school feeding, uh, empowerment and training of teachers, uh, protection, um, water and sanitation. It's the whole spectrum of, of components that are required to ensure proper learning outcomes. She says girls' education often lags behind that of boys because of discrimination, gender-based violence, and other obstacles. To overcome the barriers facing them, she says every investment ECW makes in education must include at least 60% girls. We also make sure that the curriculum and the teachers uh, are, are gender sensitized so that you give uh, girls the power to speak up in the classroom, that they are attentive to the treatment of girls uh, so that we can shape a new generation of, of, of girls' leaders. Sharif says investing in education is the best way to end poverty and to achieve gender equality as well as peace and security. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A former Egyptian anti-corruption chief has been arrested again after completing a five-year prison term. The French news agency AFP says Hisham Ganina was convicted in 2018 of spreading information to harm the military. This after saying a former presidential candidate had documents that would incriminate many people in the military regime of President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. He was sacked in 2016 for allegedly exaggerating the cost of corruption, which he said cost the country $66 billion. 
After serving his prison sentence, Ganina was arrested again yesterday and charged with joining a terrorist group and spreading false news. Human rights defender Hossab Bagat told AFP this was a case of a revolving door system where prisoners are detained on new charges instead of being released. The news service says Egypt has around 60,000 political prisoners, many living in brutal conditions. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehye Suhid in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Adrias Rigas, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.